Hey everybody, JPQ here. I wanted to uh, take a second before we got started to welcome you to the Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Just Joshi Show. I appreciate you checking out the podcast. I expect um, an episode every couple weeks or so, I think, recapping the world of women's professional wrestling in Japan. The goal of this podcast is to help keep folks informed of all things Joshi, as well as add some commentary and and have some fun along the way, because that's what it's about. Fans new to the Joshi scene, as well as seasoned fans, uh, my hope with these first two episodes is to give you a baseline of Joshi promotions and what they're doing coming into and out of the new year. Uh, things happen fast in Joshi, so let's jump into it. I don't know if I'm going to keep that opener, but that was fun for the first time. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, first episode, the baseline episodes of Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Just Joshi. I'm your host, Big Paul's on a Pup JPQ, and we're going to look at the Joshi scene in four parts. We're going to take a look at Stardom, TJPW, Ice Ribbon uh, as, as separately, and then we're going to look at anything and everything with regards to the Joshi independent scene. And so I brought some friends on to do that with. We're going to do it over two episodes here, so Stardom and TJPW to start, Ice Ribbon and... Um, the Joshi independent scene comes in a couple days, so make sure that you like, subscribe, everything on the PWI podcast network here. Uh, but first up, we're going to start with Stardom, and my guest to help break all this down, uh, the year that was, the year that might be, is the editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated itself, Kevin McElvaney. Kev, how you doing, bud? Good, JP. Thanks for having me. Stardom. How can we not start talking about Joshi without the crazy year and what potentially could be a crazy 2022 than with stardom. I mean, my mm-hmm. goodness, I don't know if I've seen this climb to, you know, a global presence out of a wrestling promotion. And I can't tell you how long um, your thoughts on stardom. When did you become a fan? You know, tell me, you know, tell me about what you thought of their overall year in 2021. Gosh. Um, so I, I want to say um, I, I, probably my first exposure to stardom seeing any of it would have been like 2018, 2019. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said I was watching regularly at that point, I'm more like the past two, two and a half years started watching regular regularly in 2020. Nice. Um, and, um, yeah, essentially, I mean, I had friends that liked it for me. There was a, a bit of a curve, the early version of, I don't even know if it was called stardom world then, but the streaming service was, I mean, it looked like a geo city site. The first time I saw it, it looks, <laughs> it looks great now. Um, yeah. That redesign in 18 was a big upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So that was okay. So, so I must've seen it even before 2018, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was actually not a subscriber until I, be, yeah, I believe it was early, even early 2021. I, I, I actually had, I won't go into all of it, but it was just weird 
issues with the website, getting my payment authorized, all this stuff. And I, and you, you look it up, there's some other people who had similar issues. Uh, but that was a barrier for me. Cause I would, you know, obviously they put the, the shows, the, we are stardom shows up on YouTube. Um, they have some other things that they had offered. They did the, uh, the empty arena show that they put up live. Um, you know, so there were other things that were out there. And then of course there's less legitimate ways of seeing <laughs> anything. Um, but that enabled me to really kind of keep up with things more consistently, watch the shows out on tour, things like that, not just see the big events. So, um, tw you know, 2020 was, was a good year. 2021, as you said, I mean, it was just this big climb and continued international exposure. You had, uh, people starting to pay attention to Joshi that did not pay attention to it for a long time. I mean, you got to point out that Meltzer, I mean, Dave Meltzer was like the biggest advocate of all Japan women in the nineties, but he just really, you know, seemed to hardly even watch jo Joshi for a long time after that. Yeah. Um, you know, once all Japan women dissolved, um, and notably, uh, Utami Shishista, uh, rain got him you know, paying attention again. And of course, like there's plenty else to love. Uh, but I do think that the, uh, the champ made the former champ now single tier made, <laughs> you know, made a big difference with that. She got a lot of people tuning in, um, you know, along with some of the other, the rest of the roster that we'll talk about. Uh, but a lot of cool stuff's been happening and I think they're going to continue to grow. Uh, I would, you know, like to see them get, it helps that they've been uh, working a little more in tandem with New Japan increasingly since, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously their relationship with Bushi Road is still pretty young. But um, I think there's an opportunity. I mean, really, even if you look at what AEW is now and things like that, um, New Japan played such a big role in that because there was this mainstream exposure that it had over here. And I'm sure they're trying to, they're the primary focus is for them to get that back, but there's just as much room for, for uh, stardom to do that. And I think there are a lot of people who maybe even wouldn't be super into wrestling if not for, you know, the right entry point and stardom could be that for them. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. I think I'm, I'm glad that you took it back to no people gate too. one because Saki Kashima main evented against Mayumi Watani. And that's, you know, always a plus for me of being a huge Saki mark the way I am. But uh, additionally, you know, there was a lot of pivots, right? Pandemic started in March and, yep. you know, shows were shut down. I mean, they were in quarantine, you know, for a good amount of time out in Japan. And even when they started to open up. You know, it was limited shows uh, or limited viewing shows, and they they went away for a little while, came back. And so staying relevant on YouTube and things of that nature really kind of helped to bring in an audience that I don't think necessarily they would have been able to get uh, from the Western side without the pandemic in a weird way. Right. Like, I don't know if Bushi Red would have focused so much on the YouTube content um, and starting would have focused too much on the YouTube content if it wasn't for um you know the pandemic and so i think that did open up some eyes so that you know once it started to come you know back and crowds began to be there and they began to tour and the shows began to ramp up the way they did okay well now people that were watching are like, okay now i gotta go to stardom-world.com and figure out you know how to put my credit card in to get signed up and that is a trick i've helped many of people with that exact same problem and usually what it comes down to is you got to switch your expiration in your month 
right? So instead of 1121, uh, you want to go 2111. And that usually corrects the problem. I, most may, I may have tried that, honestly. And it was something, it was maybe something more with my bank. And of course, like you have to use a credit card. You can't use PayPal. Right. So I, I, <laughs> I actually have a card that's pretty much not using, being used for any other kind of uh, recurring expenses right now, except that one. Except that one. Bill every month, <laughs> because that's the one it would take. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I, I gotta be honest, I had that problem too. I mean, when I first yeah. got into this, it was uh it was two cards and about 20 minutes of frustration and, and troubleshooting before I got in. So certainly one of those things that I hope they're working on. And I think it's prop no, nah, I don't think it's fixed 100 percent but I think it's a lot better than it used to be. Um, luckily, once you get over that hurdle, you don't really have to worry about it until your card expires. So that's a win. Um <laughs> but yeah, so they are the momentum through 2020 into 2021 is there, right? And and people started taking notice. Um, both domestically as well as internationally um, and what they're doing. I've really enjoyed their partnership with Bushi Road up to this point because we're seeing a lot of domestic growth. And I, I'm a big proponent of focusing in on, you know, taking care of the people that are coming to the shows first and then allowing us to enjoy it on the, on, on the outside so Absolutely. that we, so that we have something to look forward to once, you know, because we know that it's going to be established back at home, right. In a lot of ways. And so as we move through 2022, 2023, 2024, once we kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy in the world, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for them to head west. And it's not just stateside, right? It's the UK, it's Australia, it's all these other places because of their YouTube presence and this global, you know, um, level that they've kind of seemed to reach. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. the world's kind of their oyster in a lot of ways once they start traveling. And I think that's going to be a fun wrinkle to look forward to as we get in. Um, we know that they're going to start heading west in, in the country with regards to some of the TV uh, deals that they came up with or that they've, that they've uh, agreed to. Um, and so, and then they're going to start traveling that way for shows as well. So by the end of 2022, we should see the entire country of Japan be... 100% on board with stardom. And that's very exciting because then what happens, right? And so we get to talk about all that. And we get to look at all that over the next couple of years. But I think where it's important to start today, because you and I could do this forever, right? We could talk about stardom, what we like, what we don't like, you know, but we got a couple promotions we want to get to. And so I think that if we do a tour of the factions, right? And we kind of walk through each of the roster members and kind of mm -hmm. what year they had, what kind of faction, we're dealing with and it gives a nice kind of overview if you're new to stardom to get acquainted with the wrestlers the promotions and kind of the storylines coming in and coming coming into this year coming out of last year as well as if you're um you know proficient in in stardom knowledge it should give you an opportunity to kind of review reflect and and look out onto onto the things to come in 2022 so um let's start with stars because Mayu Iwatani is the icon. She's the face of stardom. Um, and this is her promotion. The thing about it that is interesting is that nobody wants to be her friend. At least it <laughs> felt that way at the beginning of the year as well as through 2020. Um, give me your thoughts on Mayu Iwatani and, and her lack of uh, friendship. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, she uh, had the hard fall at the end of... Uh, 2020 and then it kind of just got worse from there <laughs> yeah. I mean, just fell out of the main event and then you know as you said lost 
her friend, I mean, her friends started to abandon her or be taken away from her one by one. Um, but she still had some, some good uh, performances in there, particularly at uh, the Budokan show earlier this year. Um, I mean, she always has good performances, but I mean, in terms of like a successful outing that she can be proud of, not just in terms of her, her wrestling, but you know, her, the outcome. Um, but what stuck out to me is a bit of a, like a cosmetic makeover recently, you know, mm-hmm. which I think, I mean, it's needed for any wrestler after a certain uh, amount of time, but it had been quite a while for her. Um, so I think that will be helpful, but in a promotion like stardom, she is going to need reliable allies and that is something she's had a hard time with. So I think that's going to be key for her. Yeah, and and that was kind of the theme, and in, in an interesting way, right? Because she lost the title to Utami at the end of last year, right? 2020 going into 2021. And, you know, it's kind of like, what do you do with somebody that lost the title that's really at the top of the promotion yep. as far as, you know, tenure and, and legacy and things of that nature? And so to have everybody betray her over the course of the last couple of years, right? Saki went, Death went, SLK went, Tam went. You know I mean? She lost the entire faction um all through betrayals it's like you kind of sit there and you go well you're kind of putting her on ice without coming out and saying that she has nothing to do right like that's kind of the like they they created a story to allow her to kind of cool off but still be very much in front of everybody at the same time and i found that to be a very interesting balance through the course of this year and slowly but surely as it began Right as she lost Tam and all these and all and all her friends, um, she started to pick up some people. Right, and and you can make the case that from the beginning of the year through present day, nobody has had as much of a momentum swing in their favor with regards to their personal faction than Mayu Iwatani, in my opinion. Right, mm. we got a couple um, free agents. Uh, one, well, actually returning um uh, wrestlers back into stardom in hazuki and and koguma who then end up tagging together and end up going on to win the tag league at the end of this season um you know and and then hanan's there winning the future title at the end of the season as well Mm -hmm. as aida who's been dealing with some injuries you know has been there and she's the loyal you know partner of mayu through this whole thing and so what stars wasn't right now is and in a lot of ways the momentum that they have going into 2022 is as high as everybody that isn't a three-letter acronym um known as ddm would you agree yeah i mean i think given a few months ago i would have said queen's quest were doing fantastic but after uh Momo uh, abandoning ship there. And, you know, I mean, granted now they they've got lady C in the fold. So there's some added uh, power there, but that was a big blow to lose Momo the way they did. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'd have to agree, um, which is, you know, as you said, kind of overdue. Cause it was, it was the redheaded stepchild for a while. Uh, and now it's been rebuilt. It could be, if not stronger than ever, then certainly, Strong and new in different ways. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, you have the second best, right? Tag team um, behind mm-hmm. Julia, uh, behind ALK uh, in Hazuki and Koguma. You have the future 
in uh, Hanan or Hanan. I, I like to say Hanan, and if I'm wrong, I blame it on my accent. Um, but you have Hanan, who's the future of startup champion, and Sai and Sayaida. I would imagine is going to be coming off of injury here in, in pretty short order. And so, you know, you look at what they have um, at the top in Mayu, as well as what they have in the tag. We know that they have future um, promise in in Hanan, and then Sayaida when she comes. And so, you look at that group. I'm of the opinion that 2022 is going to be the year of stars, right? I think they have one more signing in them. And, you know, by this time next year, you know, we're going to be sitting here saying who's they're going to, they're going to be where DDM is now, right? If I can make a bold take coming right out of the gate here, right? I think we're going to have one more signee and there's momentum is going to continue. And we're really going to see uh Hazuki take that next step in the main event. Koguma finally, figure out a way to win the high-speed championship, uh, and Sayaida is going to last the whole year. Right? <laughs> if those all those things happen and Mayu can stay healthy, I think we're in for a big, big year for start. You did mention Queen's Quest, right? Yeah. And we know that Utami Hayashishta is coming off of probably the most prominent red belt run, uh, World of Stardom Championship run, probably in the history of stardom. I, I, I want to give her that accolade. I think that given... You know, not just um, the media age that we live in, right? And the accessibility to stardom that uh, that they have, which is you know as much reach as they've ever had in their history in the last ten years. Um, you know, she answered the call, right? And when you're kind of known as the ace, and they're going to give you the push, and you're expected to go out there and perform to the level that you are. I think she kind of knocked it out of the park this year, right? I mean, that was represented in in the PWI uh, top women's top 150 uh, mm-hmm. coming in at number two. You know, we got to your point. We had uh, Dave Meltzer talking about her and, and Shuri in their five and a half star match and, and promoting uh, the year end climax show uh, Cinderella Queendom or uh, Dream uh, Queendom. It, it just feels like every promotion needs that one cornerstone ace. And and stardom this year found it in Utami Hayashishta. Yeah. Uh, um, so a couple of things to comment on there. I mean, this, one is that in 2019 or for the year 2019, she was uh, second runner up for rookie of the year with PWI. So she made, she made a good impression out of the gate. She started collecting championships pretty quickly. Um, uh, and then from there, the, it, I, I forget exactly where she was ranked last year in the women's 100 at that point, but it was a huge jump. And, you know, you were on the ranking committee and you, I mean, you, you could, uh, you could speak to this as well as very nearly her chosen over Bianca Belair. And ultimately we decided to go with Bianca because uh, there's a little bit more of a, an international significance and cultural significance there. But the fact that it was that close uh, to me speaks volumes. And then also I think didn't Meltzer describe her as like one of the best athletic storytellers in wrestling, regardless yes. of gender, something like that. High praise because that guy, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll say something's good when it's good, but for him to use superlatives like that, he really does hold off on, on using those kinds of terms, um, until it's appropriate. So she made a lot of fans. She got a lot of attention for stardom. Uh, it's reflected in Western media. Um, you know, one thing probably worth 
noting here is that if it doesn't begin and end what, <laughs> with what Americans think of, of all this, it's, you know, realistically speaking, the bulk of uh, the, the business success of Sardom is going to rest on what happens in Japan. It can definitely make everything more profitable and then potentially improve the quality of the product if it has this more international reach. But, um, you know, because more resources are given to it and all that. But I uh, trailed off a little bit there. But <laughs> the, the thought is that it doesn't begin and end with what you and I think, but the the truth is that she just cut this really dominating presence with if it was was it the tenth offense she lost or was it the ninth but it, either way it was impressive and more than a year as champ um, you know certainly not set the record but um, in recent memory had the most dominant reign and to your point had the most visibly dominant reign and stardom history with, with the red belt. So that that's huge. And I think people are going to go back and revisit that reign fondly in a couple of years. Um, you know, certainly she could, she could win it back at some point. Uh, she could go wherever else she wants and do well. Um, she has all the tools in the toolbox. And again, only a few years into her career. So. And an amazing, she starts with a blue block win her rookie year within a month and a half of being there. And then she goes on this crazy run through 2022. It's amazing in such short order, what she's been able to accomplish and then what is left to still be right. I mean, again, and I think that's going to be the interesting thing as we talk Queens quest going through um, 2022, right? Because we have Saya Kamatani sitting there, um, the future, right? The <laughs> zoom, zoom herself, uh, tall Saya. pick the nickname. I don't care where you want to go with this. It's a, uh, you know, she's now our wonder of stardom champion, uh, knocking down Tam Nakano at a uh, dream queendom and solidifying herself as the future, right? She won the Cinderella uh, champion or uh, tournament earlier this year in the spring. She took out Micah for it. She then, you know, ends up losing the opportunity um, or she ends up losing the, her first shot at the, the wonder of stardom championship. She comes back at the end. She picks it up in a lot of ways. You know, she's their aerial high flyer that, you know, really helps to promote. She does a fantastic job of promoting stardom outside of stardom. You know, like they use her. This is, and this goes back to assemble back when she would do the Phoenix splash there. This goes mm -hmm. to the wrestle kingdom card last year. This goes to the wrestle kingdom card this year. You know, she is somebody that isn't just good matchmaking wrestler. She is must see spectacle wrestler. And when you have, something like that within your promotion, let alone within a, a, a faction like Queens quest, which is all about the championships and all about like, they're like the Yankees of, of stardom, right? Like if you're part of them, you're considered top tier, right? Your top shelf. And so for her to not just be that for stardom outside of stardom, but then within Queens quest, you know, to be this aerial assassin is just such an impressive um, feet for again for someone that just like Utami is only a few years into her career. So you know, given everything that she's doing, she's really kind of the bright spot for me coming out of or coming into 2022 because she's riding the momentum of winning the Wonder of Stardom Championship. We know um, the wow factor, the OMG moments that she can bring to any match. She's going to be able to show that. In a, in a in a championship run here at the beginning of 2022 um and in a singles capacity 
She's in a formidable tag team with Utami as part of Aphrodite. There's a lot of check. Or there's a lot of boxes that she checks off, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a lot of ways where, you know, you and I talked about the old, the, the leader of Queen's Quest. Um, Utami and Saya, it, it feels like Azumi's doing the talking right now. So I don't really know if they have a de facto leader at this point. Um, but it is one of those things where, you know, the momentum seems to be with Saya. Utami's still right there with her. These mm-hmm. two put together an absolute force on the tag team side. I the ceiling is as high as with anybody in Starland with with Saya Kamatani. Uh, would you agree? Where do you see her going through through the next twelve months? Well, I think a nice run with the white belt will be a good start. I don't see her losing it in her first or second defense, certainly. But mm-hmm. you know. I've been wrong about these things plenty of times before. (laughs) Um, I would be remiss if I didn't add that everybody coming out of dream queendom is talking about the main event, rightfully so with Utami and Shuri, but that wonder of stardom title match was incredible. Um, And I never thought Saya wasn't good, but I think I really started to see that next level talent in her with that match that uh, you and some other people had had uh, pegs because this was just such a great story, uh, such a great moment for her to win the belt. And, you know, I think uh, especially now with uh, Queen's Quest needing a leader, whether or not she officially becomes that that person, she certainly has a room to step up and step out now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you got Azumi sitting right there as well, who, you know, not riding the pine because that's not a good way of putting it, but being on the younger side, they don't need to to rush it, right? right. And so she was kind of the first of the her Momo and SLK in in, in twenty twenty one to you know to have the high speed champion. She had championship and she was kind of doing her thing. We're like, okay, well they're finally going to push Azumi. Well, that all kind of changed later. We'll get to it in a little bit, but now that we've established SLK, Momo, Koguma. Natsupoi, man, Azumi really has an opportunity at this point um, to to show a little bit more tenacity than she mm-hmm. has in the past, right? She's always kind of been a serious wrestler. So, I mean, being part of Queen's Quest, they really don't, um, you know, play the wacky game too much. But now she's got purpose, right? She has this built-in feud, and she has forever with SLK, but now that Starlight's now kind of surpassed her in a lot of ways, being a de facto faction leader, being the high-speed champion, taking people's masks, cutting throats, it's amazing what SLK's doing. It gives Azumi, who's always kind of been her foil, the opportunity to now come in and, and, and really level up her game on the storytelling side. We know how good she is at the wrestling aspect, but now, on the, now you're going to give her a program that's backed by a uh, solid story that's not just history driven it's going to be current event driven and that's very exciting for you know what potentially could be with those two over the course of the year where where do you see her headed i think the one thing i would add is just what a great like 90s style high flyer she is she's not doing some of the crazy moves that Kamatani is doing but she is just such a great I mean, it's weird to put it this way, but like a junior heavyweight style, like she is agile. She 
you know, is young and has a, a great trajectory ahead of her. But like you said, she just kind of needs that right slot to be slotted into. And then once she can, uh, she can find that, that she can do some really good things, I think. And uh, just worth noting though, that she has that ability and uh, that's only one part of the equation. Let's pop over to 080 tie because they've pretty much, um, again, a lot like stars. They were kind of on the back burner most of the year. Um, they've really redesigned, realigned over the course of 2021. Excuse me. Yeah, over the course of 2021, now going into 2022. Uh, what started out with Natsuko Tora at the top, Konami coming in. Oh, that's another one. That's another person that switched on. On Mayu, boom, added her to the list. I forgot her up at the top. Um, you know, between Konami, um, Tora, both gone at this point. You know, yeah. for well, Natsuka because she got hurt. Uh, Konami because she needed to take a break, and if she comes back, great. If she doesn't, she left in the best way possible. Um, Fuki Gendeth, who is just nobody can say anything about Koryaniyama to me outside of that she's one of the goats in the history of wrestling. Like I, I, there's not a bad word. Anybody I won't, I won't stand for it. Um, so her coming in and playing this smoking sad clown is fantastic. Who needs, who needs somebody to be in control of her now being Saki Kashima. Again, Oedo Tai is doing everything. Uh, is has made a lot of this, a lot of good decisions over the course of the year that has really elevated from this goofy kind of, you know, um, chaotic, uh, Suzuki Goon esque, um, you know, faction of misfits to this cohesive group of, you know, just angry individuals. And then you add Momo Watanabe on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if it wasn't good before, and SOK is doing her thing and she's kind of building and she's got this whole gimmick and she becomes the de facto leader after Natsuko Tora, that's the pivot after Natsuko gets hurt. Then you come in and you add the Black Peach to, to the equation, turning her back on uh, Queen's Quest and, and joining Oedo Tai. I mean, I mean, I try to go through it in a, in a brief manner there. Where do you even start? I mean, they're the hottest <laughs> faction coming, you know, according to, according to stardom, they're the best faction in 2021, which I don't, okay. But how do you look at that group and say, you know, they, they committed to one thing. It didn't work out right. um, because of the injury. So we're going to go a different direction. And then you end up with SLK, Momo, and Saki leading the troops down into 2022. It's it's crazy to me. It's crazy. What, what are your general thoughts on Oeda Tai uh, going into next year? Well, I, I think uh, faction of the year for 2021 is maybe, you know, we're going to start and wants to put out there Why? pushing it a little bit. They were, they were a little bit of an afterthought for a while there. And yes. that's, that's nothing uh, you can go, you can do what you're given to a certain extent. And there was just so much else going on uh, that even a group with the kind of history that Oedo Tai has, it was hard for them to, to stand out from the pack. But I think, as you said, the kind of this, this shakeup has benefited them uh, in a major way. Uh, worth noting that <laughs> you and I were talking the week again, that it has, is the master of the O'Connor role and it should now be named after her. Yes, uh, <laughs> other stray thoughts. I don't, I, I, I did think I was, I was in watching the, the award show again, uh, earlier today. There was a moment during the, uh, the match where I had 
the thought that like, oh, this actually looks like a fully formed faction again, whereas it it didn't really for a while. I mean, right. certainly they ha- they had some numbers, but this felt like, as you said, a cohesive group. So I think they can do well in 2022. Um, yeah, there's plenty of talent there. Um, and, you know, I mean, we could easily see Momo back in the red belt picture very soon, I think. So, yeah, um, I try to hold off personally for my two, in my opinion, the two best factions this year towards the end. Right. I think it started out with a uh, hair versus hair match between Julia and Tam. Right. We're talking Cosmic Angels versus DDM. Um, I think I want to end this on DDM. So we'll start with Cosmic Angels. Tam Nakano has had probably, in my opinion, the best. She's probably top four. I'm going to give it a tour over Julia. Top three performance in Sardom this year, which in my opinion puts her like, I mean, we did it in the, we did it on the PWI, right? Just puts her in the top ten women yeah. of all uh, all year. Uh, I found her Wonder Run to be uh, fantastic. Many people are telling me that it's the best Wonder of Stardom Championship run in the history of of the company. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's true. I was huge on Momo Watanabe when she had it, and then Io had it for a decent amount of time where she had like nine defenses, and so I would have to go back and replay it against those. But as far as like trying to find a story and make things different. Every single time she was in that ring, you know, if you're a fan of her style, of course the matches were high level, right? The fact that she always tried to put this like fairy tale kind of spin or these little storylines in there that, and build these promos out of it. were just, it's something that we don't see in stardom a lot, right? It's, it's kind of known as a work rate promotion in a lot of ways. There's a lot of high profile co-main main event type matches good undercard multi tags and got a dragon S or dragon gate S kind of vibe to them, you know, and then you got Tam who is an actress is a model. She comes in. She, she wasn't, a, she didn't know about wrestling before she started with actress girl. She ends up getting picked up by stardom. She works with a way to tie works with stars, comes over to cosmic angels, finally has an opportunity to be the number one in her faction. And when she wins the wonder of stardom championship after a hair versus hair match, every single opponent, she made a story with sometimes they weren't as great like Tamina towards the end, but then you had these really elegant stories playing back on the history with Natsupoy back when they were an actress girls. Right. And then the Maya versus Tam respect, but I loathe you story. Right. And you know, all these little ones in between, nobody's done it like Tam with the wonder title in the history of stardom. I'm celebrating her for what she's been able to do. And we haven't even talked about the fact that she built the faction through the course of the year and, and who those people are. Um, it's a banner year for Tam. It's probably her best. I don't know what more I can say about her. Um, Kevin, where do you stand on Tam? And, and, and how did you look at her 2021? I mean, she's fantastic. You know, main event in that hair versus hair match, at the Budokan, um, as you said, built a faction, you know, we would do the weekly as much as the there's talk about, uh, the, the women's 150 and the PWI 500, 
the weekly ratings on our website sometimes just go up like the top tens and the various promotions. And then like, there's the overall heavyweight and women's rankings and tag team rankings and all that really just a ton of attention being paid by stardom fans to that weekly top 10 list and very firm opinions about things. Like there were at least a couple that really wanted to see Tam, um, you know, higher even than Utami or Sherry. And I said, well, it's, you know, it's not that kind of list. It's not like who, who we like better. It's, it's kind of where people are positioned, but the truth is she really made that belt. Um, it already meant a whole lot, but she, she had a meaningful reign with it, I should say. Um, and the fact that she was in the top 10 for the women's 150 with, I mean, effectively a secondary title. And this is all the world's promotions. And then it's a Japanese promotion with no uh, TV penetration in the U S was able to do that. You know, I mean, Otami in there, I mean, you can point to, okay, she's the world champion and she had all these successful title defenses. You can point to Shuri had multiple championships uh, seemed on the cusp of beating Otami almost did beat her a couple of times. And then of course, finally did. Um, but Tana kind of got in there by virtue of just making this secondary belt mean so much. And, you know, this was with a shorter reign than those other wrestlers we just talked about. This is, she didn't, was it March, but she had it, she held it through the end of the year. It was certainly like a good solid reign, but it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't as long as nope. Tommy or Sherry's, but she, she made it mean so much in that time. And, you know, I think the fact that she put this faction together with these other, kind of models turn wrestlers. Um, that's a really cool thing too. And uh, cosmic angels just have a really cool vibe. I, I really like what they do. There's a, you know, it's, I, I think sometimes factions are okay. How can we get everybody to look sort of like, you know, like there's a uniform or, or we're going to be um, similar in a lot of ways because we are in fact like a unit and we're going to go out there and, and fight like one. But Cosmic Angels just kind of like let everybody go out there and do their thing. And they certainly, you know, feel like they all fit together. Um, but the fact that they stand out in that way, uh, to me as individuals, says a lot about them. Yeah. Yeah. My friend um, who lived, who did a stint or a tour in Japan for a while said that he always likened it to the world or the red belt is the height of stardom. Right. But the wonder of stardom championship or the white belt is the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think that was best represented by Tam this year, right. For as much as I enjoyed Shori versus Utami and then all the defenses in between, because you're right, there was nine defenses of that championship. Uh, I've lost it on the 10th, um, nine successful um, challenge or defenses of that championship. Right. There is, there is this affection, right. That I have for Tam and the wonder of stardom run. Right. It just it sits with me. And when I when I go back and I replay that in my head, it always brings a smile to my face. So I think there is something to that. To your point about the acquisitions that Tam was able to make over the course of this year. I mean, my goodness. Right. She went in to TJPW and she picked up Unagi Sayaka. She picked up Mina Shirakawa, which I think was at the beginning of last year. But regardless. Um, and then Waka and Mai came over late into the year. I <laughs> It's, you know, it's one of those things where I don't mind eating my own hat. Um, one, because I have many. Um, and two, because they're always on me. So I know I'll never go hungry. But it is one of those things where 
you couldn't sell me on Nina Shirakawa before or during her TJPW days, right? And I'm not going to sit here and say she was a horrible wrestler. And then it's nothing like that. It's just, I just didn't get it, right? When she was in TJPW. And then she came over and it took her a little bit to get started. But man, when she really kind of found her uh, way, it she she leveled up in my eyes so fast, so quick. And I think a lot of that has to do with how they train and the repetition in which you see them, right? Because if you watch Stardom the way I watch Stardom, um, you're watching the house shows and you see her so many times over the course of the year and you see these progressions. And I really enjoy watching those progressions that the investment comes with her getting better. Not to say she was bad, but getting better. Unagi, on the other hand, kind of comes in and she's portrayed as somebody who wasn't the greatest, right? Mm -hmm. And so they put her in this seven trial series. And through this seven trial series, she just gets beat by everybody. <laughs> and it's and it's not like going 0 for 7 is kind of expected. But the fact that she ate as much offense as she did where she won me over early was in her ability to show me or to sell me on the fact that these people that were against her were, you know, more than life themselves. And she did that through being punched in the face, being kicked in the gut, being thrown from the top rope. Nobody in the history of me watching wrestling has ever got over with me by being beat up. And, and Unagi was able to cover that this year. Then the personality began to come out and then the random just popping out of nowhere and, and challenging for titles with no cachet whatsoever, but being granted <laughs> them anyway. And we got to see her in all these different things. And then the offense came later. It's just a, it's just a great story of, of progression with Unagi from the beginning of her tenure in stardom through present day where I just go, man, you, you 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 picked a horse that nobody was looking at and you turned him into you know a, a triple crown winner it's just amazing to me what she was able to do through to through 2021 and i give a lot of credit to that to to tam and cosmic angels because i think without that faction a, a character like unagi probably doesn't exist and they had that it's worth mentioning a new record or record breaking run with the artist of stardom championship. Yep. So it just as a trio functioned very well, complemented one another. Well, uh, you know, worth, uh, since you put over Unagi so big, I, I would like to give a little more credit to, to Mina as well, who, like you said, came in and wasn't like the world's best worker. I, I don't think anybody would, would say she was, but she has come such a long way and has been working so hard. She has such an incredible personality that just comes through. She really has like just this, this, this zip factor, right? It's overused, but she has it. Um, and I think that is clear behind her and they're giving her these opportunities and for her competing for multiple singles titles over the course of the year, along with that artist of stardom championship. Right. So really the three of them as a unit solid. This faction really is driven off of Tamunagi and Mina and everything they've been able to do over the course of the year. So, you know, faction of the year for me personally, just because of how it came together and then how they took off these, these, uh, again, these cosmic entities going into 2022 <laughs> are ones that, um, you know, are stellar to watch and should be celebrated every chance we get. Um, and that leads us with one more faction which probably has the most amount to talk about, but you know, brevity is key. So Donna Del Mondo 
Women of the World, DDM, just the all-star faction, right? We got our OGs from last year, Shori, Julia, Micah, Himika, and Natsapoy. Um, Julia, red hot at the beginning of the year, right? In a lot of ways, looked at as another ace, right? Like, you didn't know who the ace was prior to, or prior to um, Utami's third or fourth defense. Really, when she went after Micah, and that was a good match, then you kind of took off, and you kind of knew it was coming. But Julia was right there with her in the running the entire time. Shuri comes out of nowhere. Well, that's not fair. She has 1,200 matches underneath her belt over 13 years. <laughs> she, Shuri comes in, and you. But, but with Julia being in that faction, I don't know if we would sit here and say that she was going to be as protected as we thought she was going to be. I think that's yes. a fair um, assertion uh, at this point. And then, you know, just the consistency and the depth with uh, Micah, Hemika, and, and Natsapoy, which, funny enough, are now your artists of Stardom Champions. Mm-hmm. Um, um, to, to round out that roster, name me a better five in the history of wrestling than, than, than them, right? And keep, some, keep, keep the Dangerous Alliance out of it. Uh, give me <laughs> a better five. You know, in a faction, because it's I'm hard-pressed. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that there's some, and I'm probably being a little you know, overzealous here. But my point is, is that they're up there. They're up there with the best of them um, in the world. You know, I, I'd be hard pressed to believe otherwise. Uh, what's, what's your general thoughts on DDM? Tell me what you like, tell me what you love, because there's not like, there's not a lot to dislike. That's for sure. No, no. And I agree with you that it seemed at least late 2020, early 2021, that, um, you know, Julia seemed like she would be the next, breakout star and you know certainly there were things like injuries later on in the year that derailed her a little bit but um the fact that you have alk out in front like that um so much to like about the two of them as a tag team not to keep dragging people back into it but this is pwi podcast i'm going to put it over (laughs) but they were regularly in the top 10 for uh the top 10 tag teams all throughout the year and then uh, we're in the top five at the end of the, at the end of the year for the in the uh, tag team fifty uh, highest ranked female tag team. Um, both had tremendous single success, star power. Uh, you know the two of them were able to form a cohesive tag team in an AL- ALK. On paper, kind of looks like they're they're very different people. You know, Julia's this fashionista and Sherry's this MMA fighter, and they were, they looked very different in that regard. They carried themselves differently, but as ALK, you know, they kind of doing this like postmodern fashion kind of, geez, I, I feel like their hair, their hair colors and cuts were changing every week for a little while there, or at least Julia's were, <laughs> um, but great presentation, um, great success in the ring as singles and in tag matches and uh, the subject of a feature story in PWI, which like in my eyes, they were just like the hottest faction in wrestling period in 2021, like most consistent. Yes. You take into account everything. And I get that they're not on American TV drawing high ratings every week, but like find me a a faction that was promoted uh, more consistently and strongly than them. You, because not only do you have those two, then you have the Mahima Poi, who are now the artist stardom champions. Um, 
and you have you know three uh, very interesting competitors there. You have the powerhouse Himeka, and Micah's just this great all rounder, can do anything. Yep. Uh, I'd say she's underrated, but I think people are on to how good she is. Yeah, we've only been wrestling a couple years, and that yeah. judo power that she's got is underappreciated. Fantastic, and of course had a win over uh, Utami in the five star Grand Prix. That was sure was a huge thing. Um, and Natsupo is awesome. Just very big fan of her her work and some innovative moves. Just this fantastic, like, I keep bringing in all these weird comparisons because really what she's doing is a classic Joshi style, but really sped up. But like an X division almost. Like she is just like boom, 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 all over the ring. Um, I'm very eloquent the way I describe things, aren't I? Boom. She's like boom, boom, boom over here. Um, but she, Again, also great presence. And then the three of them together as a team all complement each other uh, very well with their respective personalities. And it's just such a great unit. And it looked like it was almost done for uh, even a few weeks back. But then thankfully, they got it together. So, yeah, they came back. I mean, just in this year alone, you have goddess of stardom champions in Shuri and, and Julia, right? ALK. You have three different variations, uh, two different variations. Nope. Well, multiple you know goddess of stardom. You got more multiple goddess stardom champions through 2021. Yeah. You have, you have the artist of stardom champions currently, as well as in 2021, you have Natsupoy, who was the high speed champion in 2021. You have the wonder of stardom champion and Julia in 2021. You have the SWA champion and now the world champion at the end of the year. In Jury, three yeah. Right. So yeah, in three belts. So, Everything outside of the future of Stardom Championship, right, has been held by DDM in 2021. And so there's a lot of titles, right, in, in Stardom, right? It's kind of almost laughable at times because I've, I've been through them. And what's nice is they <laughs> color code them, which is always a plus for us um, to pay attention to. But it is one of those things that regardless of the, the color strap, chances are that in any given calendar year, DDM is going to be holding it at some point. And they proved that this, like I say, at this point, they proved that last year. Yeah, and I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they prove it again um, this year. Um, but that's I, 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 one other thing that like, comes to mind. Sorry, the off, but no, like, please. like Lij vibes, you know, in New Japan. Sure. Like this is the, n- not just the holding all the various championships and singles and uh, tag team categories, but like this kind of fun, mischievous presence. There's international appeal to it. There are, are people who don't watch a whole lot of stardom who are still like, Oh, I really in, enjoy these ladies. They're great. Um, and I got them get the DDM shirts and hot topic then like, I'll go buy them. I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to pay $50 to uh, new Japan <laughs> took on shop to get it sent, but, <laughs> but yeah. Um, can't say enough good things about them. Huge. Fan. Yeah. Me too. And, and again, they're not cocky. They're confident. Right. Right. In a lot of ways. And so and it doesn't stop there with them because we've got, you know, right right at the end, we had uh, had two. Yeah, we had two newbies coming in. Um, And again, and I'm going to tell you, somebody that follows the Joshi or Joshi scene, this isn't these aren't two rookies coming in in the sense of, yeah, they're they're still at the beginning of their career as a couple well, you know, Tekla is only okay. So it's Tekla and, and from Ice Ribbon as well as um uh Mayumi Mirai from uh TJPW who's now going by just Mirai these two in their respective promotions were were two individuals that 
weren't just getting screen time, but fans were beginning to notice and they were beginning to get over. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this, this type of fanfare that, that, that Tekla and Mirai separately were getting, they're not just coming into DDM to be the jobbers at the bottom, like Waka and Mai. Right. And kind of separating Mina and Unagi from the bottom of the of the promote uh, of the of the faction. They're coming in with fan bases from other parts of Japan right. to celebrate them. And right off the bat, they are partnered with Julia. Right. Who is probably one of if not the, you know, she's probably not the pop- most popular, but she's in the top three most popular wrestler in in, in stardom right now. Man, you got the Julia Rub plus their ad- additional fan bases coming in. Plus, the the debut couldn't have gone any better, especially for Tekla um, mm-hmm. on on all the socials with the with the gift game that was going on. It's just an incredible job by everybody involved to to make a splash right. Um, you, know, you know, right now going into the new year, everything about it I've, I I felt was strong. You know what what was already a spoiled promotion now has just gotten more rich with these two added. When you saw Tekla and Mirai come in and, and debut, when they took those Momo masks off, right? This little low key storytelling that they've been telling the last couple pay-per-views beating up Waka and Mai and Waka. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of Tekla and, and Mirai? And, and do you think that we're going to see a little trouble in paradise between Julian and Shuri? Do you think we're going to see a six faction? at some point this year? And if you do, is it as transparent as Julia and these two, or do you think it's going to be something that we're not ready for? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. The, the first impression is just immediate impact. And like, this was a big deal and this was going to change the course of Sardom in the year ahead. Um, you know, there's some other free agents out there right now. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a couple of them come through at some point. Um, but really, I think this is, I don't know that those seven wrestlers are going to be sustainable in one group. I think um, somebody's going to get a big head or somebody's going to get dissatisfied with where they're at. Um, the deck could be shuffled around a little bit, or or maybe it's like you said, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, another group created because there's enough talent to support it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's an exciting time to watch this product because you have just, I mean, a lot of other promotions would have this level of talent and you would, you would kind of abandon hope that all of them would be used well. But the, the fact is that stardom, even when, you know, someone like Mayu had to take a backseat for a little while after being such a big deal for a long time, they did it in such a compelling way. and used it to uh, to advance the stories of all these other wrestlers at the same time. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place here with this, but I, I think we're going to see some big changes over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, I selfishly hope that the, uh, that Shuri and, uh, and Julia can at least stick together. Um, but, who knows? I mean, there, there can be uh jealousy. There can be, I mean, certainly 
there's no been no shortage of uh, allies challenging each other for championships. I mean, that's even how ALK got yep. uh, the Goddess of Stardom belts was from Himeka and Micah. So we could see something like that, but we, we've got some egos here as well. Um, and I think, you know, Julia especially is uh, someone who could could turn mean pretty quickly <laughs> if called for. Yes. No so I would it. not be shocked to uh, see them split up. I'm, again, not wishing for it. <laughs> uh, because I think they're such a great team, but I don't know. There's a lot, lot that can happen. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on this? What do you, what do you see? I would like, I, I think I like Donna Del Mondo for what it is more than anything else. I mean, again, you're talking about a faction between Shori being freelance, Julia being ice ribbon, Micah being JTO, Himika being actress girls, Natsupoy being TJPW actress girls, Thekla being ice ribbon, Mirai being TJPW. Like you literally have this cross section of Joshi right under Donna Del Mondo. And there's a lot of representation worldwide as well with, you know, uh, Thailand for Shori and Italy for Julia and uh, uh, Tekla being from Austria and things of that nature. So you've got this world presence to it. I'm not saying that it should be DDM and DDM Wolfpack. But what I am saying is if you have, <laughs> If you have uh, probably Bullet Club's a better, I wanted the pop for the Wolfpack, but it's uh, <laughs> Bullet Club's probably a little bit better, right? To have a faction within a faction, right? If you took you took these seven women and you split them up four three, and Shori leads Shori leads one of them and Julia leads the other, but it's still underneath the banner of Donna Del Mondo, but they're going to be separate factions moving forward. I'm okay with that. I don't know how much I love the idea, unless it's something crazy like. Himika becomes this crazy star and her and Micah leave and start a new faction, which would just completely blow me away um, as far as expectations go. Cause you would think it would be Julie and Shuri who would leave. Right. Um, I just wouldn't want to see them selfishly. I don't want to see them split up. You know what I mean? So my hope is, is that it's a Fisher internally and like Natsupoy and Himika finally break up and they go separately, but they're still underneath the Nana Damanda banner. That would be something I'd be okay with. But at this point, I got to tell you, they haven't, they haven't missed on a faction yet. Like Oedo Tai, yeah, had some figuring out to do at the beginning of the year. And then again, like Natsukatsura wasn't put in the best position. Kagetsu retires, Suzuki leaves, and then the pandemic happens. And so you really couldn't build her the way you wanted to. And then she gets hurt when she has her first shot at the, the World of Stardom Championship. That puts her out for an extended period of time, and she's still out now. So... So, like, I'm not faulting anybody for that. It's just circumstantial at that point. Yeah. But they really haven't missed. Donna Del Mondo, when it started, incredible run. Can they beat it? Yes, they can, because they brought in Cosmic Angels, and that is an incredible thing to watch. I think Rossi probably has something up his sleeve. A sixth faction really kind of rounds out a lot of the multi-tag matches and the artist of stardom championship stuff and the tag league would make a little bit more sense if you went to six they have the roster for it and julia's already teasing somebody else that might be in the works for her that she may have went out and recruited so now you've got three underlings underneath julia i mean the writing's on the wall and that they're probably going to split but i'd like a swerve you know what I mean? In some capacity. So we'll see what happens. But again, I think what we're both trying to say through every one of these factions is you got to pay attention to stardom come 2022, right? Hashtag watch stardom because it's one of the more interesting, but I'll tell you at the same time as a wrestling fan, fulfilling wrestling promotions as a whole that you're going to watch 
through 2022. And who knows? Maybe maybe we see a certain Kyrie Hojo show up again sometime this year. Kevin, it's been fun. Um, yeah. This is just the start. I mean, if you're if this if this conversation has motive, motivated you to check out more Joshi, don't fret. We have TJPW coming up in part two. We have Ice Ribbon in part three, and then we have the whole Joshi independent scene part four. I promise you, if you want a baseline for what Joshi wrestling can be. Make sure that you stay tuned to PWIB. Welcome, everybody, to part two of The Baseline here on PWI's Just Joshi. I'm your host, Big Paul's on a Pup, JPQ. And today we're going to make our focus Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, TJPW. Um, and I'm only going to do that one with one person. So TJPW is, you know, part of Cyberfight, part of Cyber Agent, and you know you can find it all in Wrestle Universe for as little as somewhere around nine dollars a month. So from a value perspective, it's one of the best values you're going to find in Joshi Wrestling today. Um, but I don't want to talk about it alone. I think that there's a lot to go over because I think it's a very unique promotion. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to bring on my buddy Scott E. Scott, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. I am so happy to be on here. I really do appreciate the invite. And I'm really excited to talk TJPW with you because it is a very unique promotion. And I'm hoping that it continues to have the growth that they've had, you know, through the cyber fight connection with on Wrestle Universe. It's a very easy watch as well. And I'm happy to talk about it because, you know, as you and me have talked about before, stardom is of course you know the promotion but i think tjpw is right behind them they're not on the same level necessarily but they're still very good they have a lot of good parts and very unique promotion that i think a lot of people can enjoy yeah i think that they have created separation right i think when you look at joshi as a whole sure stardom has kind of breached into more of a global uh, presence at this point um you know and then you know, tjpw really has done a nice job you know, creating kind of its own niche. I don't know if I would say like full separation, but I think that they've done a nice job kind of, you know, Hey, this is who we are and this is what we do. And it's nothing unlike anything you're going to find in Joshi today. And I think they've done a really good job of marketing on that. Yeah. Crafting your own niche is very important. And, you know, stardom, like you said, it's a global, uh, the global, platform for a lot of talents but tjpw offers you something different it offers you a little bit of everything and i'm looking forward to seeing what they do in 2022 because they had such a good 2021 and of course if the pandemic wasn't so um you know difficult to fight through you would have more tjpw talent showing up in AEW as we've seen we saw yuka sakazaki go there last year we saw maki ito at the beginning of the year uh these they have talented people that fans love and that's why i think they have something special in their core you know one of the things that i think tjpw does very well that you don't see a hundred percent of the time is they focus on themselves in that they, you know, focus on promoting and investing in the wrestlers that they have. You don't see too, too many 
pro wrestler signings coming from yeah. TJPW. I'll take it a step further and say even the people that they bring in on a freelance basis, more times than not, come in with a character change than, mm-hmm. than what they're accustomed to outside of TJPW. So, for example, you got Saki Akai in DDT. Then you have Saki Sama coming in in TJPW. Mm-hmm. You have Mesa Ruga over in uh, 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 Choco Pro. Uh, you have um, May St. Michelle in... Mm-hmm. In, in TJPW. So even when people come into work, TJPW, they're coming in more character-based. They're coming in focused in being part of the team and the aesthetics that they're trying to go for with regards to uh, the, the storytelling, in-ring work rate, things of that nature, kind of all being one cohesive look. Um, it's something that we're not really seeing anybody else do to the level of success of TJPW. What are your thoughts on it? My thoughts are it's easy to invest in a promotion that invests in their own wrestlers from the ground up. And you make the point that, you know, they're not bringing in free agents who got famous elsewhere and, you know, are coming in and becoming bigger stars. No, they are signing people who are, you know, idols. Um, They just signed someone with a karate background and they're going to grow them from the ground up. Maki Ito is a perfect example. She, her gimmicks, the failed idol and they gave her time. They didn't push her, you know, to the moon right out of the gate to say the least. And there is something to love about a company or promotion that invests in their wrestlers from the start. It's easier to invest in those wrestlers yourself because you're like, okay, if they care, I care. And that's not a shot at any promotion. Every promotion does something differently, but that's where TJPW has created their outlet of sorts, have created their specialty. And, you know, we're seeing it now with someone like Yuki Arai, for example, who has developed and very quickly, and they've built behind her. They're giving her these spots. She may not always be winning, but it's big for her. And down the road, fans that have been there for the journey are already invested. There's the story there. There's the character there. And I think that's the beauty of TJPW. They, you know, you'll, you'll watch a show of theirs. They'll start off with the up, up girl singing. Then the next match will be a nice comedy match. that it gets you laughing and it's, you know, not this match classic, but by the end you're watching a phenomenal main event where someone gets their head kicked off. And it's like, what did I just watch? That's the beauty of TJPW. They have a lot of different moving parts and it's easy. It's an easy watch that you can invest in at all times. Yeah, it's like a wrestling variety hour. So what I wanted to do for the first episode, the baseline here of of Just Joshi um, in the second part is I wanted to do something a little bit, a little bit different with TJPW. So it was a Corican show that they had on January 4th, you know, where, you know, they were kind of ending a lot of the storylines and, and were kind of turning the page and looking anew going into the new year. So I thought it would be fun to bring on my friend, Scotty. And we're going to go through that card. And we're going to kind of talk about general impressions. But then more importantly, kind of look and see what our outlook is with some of these wrestlers through the new year. We'll kind of look back a little bit to look forward. And we hope that you enjoy the ride. Scotty, are you ready? I am ready to go. Let's do this. Very good. So this so obviously, so this one four show started. It was at Quirk and Hall. They had about seven hundred people, pretty close to a sellout, if not a sellout. Let's jump into the car here, or excuse me, into the card here. Um, we opened up obviously with the Up Up Girls um, doing their 
uh, doing their dance and song number. Um, do you watch this or do you fast forward? I go right through it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm of the same ilk. I know that there are people out there that really do enjoy it. And so if you're somebody that enjoys the pop idol quality of professional wrestling, it's right up your alley. But for me, I'm the same way. Hit the fast forward button until we get to the first match, which in this case was Mahiro Kiryu and uh, Moka Miyamoto, um, excuse me, Miyamoto versus Arisu Endo and Suzume, the B. Um, mm. Again, as far as openers go, I think this is one of the better ones that I've seen out of TJPW mm. this year. I, uh, I'm, I've been someone that has been championing, um, a hero for over a year now, because I think that, you know, she is somebody that is working on becoming like a bodybuilder <laughs> you know, yeah. slowly, but surely over time, she's just gotten more of a bulk to her, um, that can really pay dividends as she gets, uh, farther into her career here. Again, she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's on the higher side age wise at 28, you know, and only been wrestling for a couple years. I think last year being her rookie, uh, 2020 being a rookie year, but it's something where as I watch her progress um, over the first couple uh, years here, I'm like, man, if she just keeps putting on the muscle. They're going to have no choice, but, but moving her up the ranks pretty quick. And I thought we saw that exhibition of power in this match. And that was my biggest yeah. takeaway was, man, she can throw some people around. Um, obviously we know fan favorite Suzume, you know, is in there doing, mm -hmm. I'm not going to call it a high speed equivalent, but you know, she's in there getting her work, getting her offense in, but this was a fun back and forth or excuse me, a fun back and forth um, that lasted, you know, roughly about 10, 11 minutes. What were your general thoughts? Uh, I thought the match, you know, was fine. It, it was, I think I'm with you though. It's a better opener than usual. Um, Susan may like you brought up is definitely a fan favorite. She won the, I believe she won the fan vote for that battle Royal. Um, at the end of last year, which tells you a lot about how much people like her. Uh, the one person I do want to touch on is Arisu Endo, who they've been building. You know, she's she was a rookie in 2021, so she's very new. But she is a perfect wrestler to watch when it comes to the way they invest in their talent. She, it, you know, she's still raw. I'm not going to say like she's become great, but she's a very good rookie. I've seen people say she's one of the, you know, rookies of the year of sorts. Of course, we know who won that in the uh, Tokyo Sports. Sure. Um, but she she is someone that I think if you're jumping into TGPW, she's a good person to invest in for the long term goal. Uh, because she is someone that they clearly see a lot in. And that's why. You've seen the slow growth of her getting better and better, getting closer to winning. And, you know, I think all four of these talents are someone to invest in because each of them have shown real strides in the past year. I think that's the beauty of the investment in TJPW. Yeah. I mean, there is certainly a payoff, right? Like when you yeah. are watching these wrestlers and again, in a lot of ways, TJPW, they're, they're wrestlers that are focused on wrestling in TJPW. Right. You don't mm -hmm. see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, um, these wrestlers going into other promotions. And so you kind of look at them and you say, like, OK, where are they slotted to be six months from now, 12 months right. from now, you know, uh, 18 months from now? And and to be able to kind of, you know, as a fan, latch on and say, OK, here's my rookie this year, you mm -hmm. know, and let's see how long, you know, uh, we can ride this wave. I, I just think it brings another layer to to the fandom right of it the does. promotion as a whole that that people get around because you see like from suzume to endo to mocha like there are feverish 
fans online who just live and die by their win and loss record. So I would agree with that sentiment right there. Yeah, I think the win and loss thing, like for rookies especially, is like very easy to just kind of let go and just be like, okay, how did they improve in this match? I think that's the beauty of these rookies. This brings us to our second match on the card, which in this case was the New Year Tiger Child Rescue match. (laughs) Uh, uh, Look, here's my general thoughts on the match. Yeah, I I think I found I think they found great balance using the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, to where it was primary to winning, but they never really used it. It was never the central focus of the match, which I found to be uh, rather enjoyable because just because there's a ladder in the ring doesn't mean you have to always use the ladder. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a good job finding that balance. And again, from a for for a Shoko Hyper match, I'm going to tell you that that was yeah, it was a very fun, strong, you know, effort um, for for about 12 minutes. You know, and of the three matches over the last three years. I'm going to tell you that was probably my favorite of the three. Yeah. <laughs> These are crazy watches. That's what they are. I, I appreciate <laughs> their, you know, determination to continuously do them. And uh, for those who don't know, like Shoko Nakajima is one of like the TJPW pillars of sorts. I know pillars right. gets tossed around a lot, but she's one of their main, you know, acts of, and hyper Masao, one of the best comedy wrestlers, you know, on the planet, she's very good at what she does. And I thought this match, like you said, was probably the best of the three. Um, very, very enjoyable. If you don't look at it in a sense of, oh, well, you know, they should have been more serious and they should have, you know, cared more about the in-ring product. No, that's not what this is about. That's not what TJPW is about. They're going to have fun. They're going to throw around, you know, was it, was it dinosaurs? Yes. Yeah, yeah, on the ground, sure. Yeah, and look, as somebody that has two children uh, under the age of three <laughs> and has those, um, like those resin dinosaurs, like those mm-hmm. legit figures, those things hurt. Mm-hmm. I can't from being bonked on the head to stepping on them. There is no give on those plastic toys. I promise you that. No, and that's that was my whole point. Like it, those hurt. Those are not good to feel. And I, th- I think the way they did the match was very clever. Uh, you know, you you climb up to grab the tiger, and of course, Nakajima won, which, you know, as we learned at the end of the night, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it was good fun. It's good fun. It's, it's again, goes back to what we were saying about how, like, TJPW is very different from other promotions. It's not always serious, even with your most serious, you know, main event wrestlers. And this is a good example of that. What do you see her 2022 bringing? I see success. I see a potential uh, return to AEW, truthfully, because she was one of the originals. And Shoko Nakajima is such an interesting case because of all what you said. You know, she had all this success. It's been a while. It's been a long while since she held the pop title, as I like to call it. And she can turn it on, though when she needs to most if you watch the tokyo princess cup she made it to the finals and i think that was the first peak of like okay this is time for shoku nakajima to get back to prominence like you said and her match with maki ito in the finals was great it was great had a great time and i honestly didn't know if shoko was going to win because again she has this effect about her in tjpw realm that you know she is She's right there with Miyu Yamashita and Yuka Sakizaki. If she's yep. not 
two, she's three. Uh, it's those are the top three really, and have been for a long time. And I'm really intrigued to see how she goes forward. Cause like you said, she's in contention for a title. And if they want to keep pushing her up to the top, I get it. I get it because she's very good. Um, she's very likable. That's a big thing about Shoko Nakajima. And I'm not saying anyone's dislikable in uh, TJPW, but she's very <laughs> likable. And this match really showed that, you know, she can be fun and creative, but uh, she's really good. And I'm looking forward to seeing what she does in 2022, because I I definitely wouldn't mind seeing her with another title run of some sort, whether it be, a Princess of Princess Championship, International, or even Tag Team. So moving on, this brings us to um, our first tag match of the night. Um, we had uh, Miyu Watanabe and Rika Tatsumi, the White Dragon, versus uh, Now and Yuki Kamifuku, or Kamiyu, as you may know her. I'm going to tell you this. As much as, uh, as, much as, as, as how high I am on the overall product of TJPW, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still a bit on the salty side that Rika Tatsumi um, didn't get an opportunity to she didn't get an opportunity to really show everybody what she can do to the level that I thought maybe she could. Right. Um, yeah. I thought her title reign came. Um, I, I think it ended a little premature. Now, I know why. So it's not like, you know, um, like again, they were heading into cyber fight. They wanted their biggest matches. They need to get the title off of her and onto Miyu to make that happen. I get it. But the follow-through after the fact, I think, has been a little less than for somebody that they bet on early. And in my opinion, through her POP championship defenses, was delivering night in and night out uh, via work rate, via you know in-ring storytelling. Uh, I just think that she was doing a commendable job. So for her to kind of... And again, putting saying putting her on the back burner is probably a little too too far. But for her to cool down as much as she has coming into coming into one four show, I just think is um, it's a bit of a letdown in my opinion. I I can agree to that because Rika Tatsumi is fantastic. She is really good. Uh, she is she fits the TJPW mold really well in that she's very upbeat. She's very you know, she she she's someone that makes you smile, but she's great in the ring. She's very physical in the ring. Uh, her match with Yuki Arai from last year, maybe Arai's best match to date. Uh, she's really good at bringing the best out of everyone. And I'm with you there. I'm kind of upset that, you know, she didn't get more time to shine because she earned it. She had it. I thought for the rain that she had, it was really enjoyable. She had some great matches. Um, but she definitely deserved more. And truthfully, I'm hoping this tag team with Miyu Watanabe can be the start of that because I think they are a very interesting team that, you know, Miyu is nearing that next step to main event level where Tatsumi's there. Tatsumi has been there. And I think, you know, them working together as a tag team and potentially, you know, going through the Max Hearts tournament, which is, you know, coming up soon, it's very exciting, and they worked together pretty well, um, but I'm with you. Rika Tatsumi deserves some more credit in just Joshi as a whole because she's that good. That's right. Yeah. First of all, everybody should be giving her the love. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two, and look, and I don't want to make it sound like they've done nothing with it, right? Like she made it to the quarterfinals of the Tokyo Princess Cup. She she took out Hikari Noah in the first round. So she took out the international princess champion right off the get. She then takes out Hyper Masao before losing to Shoko. So it's not that, you know, she was completely an afterthought. It just feels like, you know, coming in or coming out of her reign that, and given her wrestling uh, ability, right? Mm-hmm. That she, I hate to say, and I hate using this word in pro wrestling because I do think it's overused, but she was put in a position where, you know, she, um, you know, she was, she was, she was just put on, she was just put on the back burner, right? Like yeah. she was just focused. Like they took the focus off of her and they put it on other people and, and they never really kind of came back full circle circle to her before the end of the year. And so now I'm watching her with less investment story-wise in a storyline promotion. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that given the amount of work rate that she brings, like a Miyu and a Yuka and a Mizuki, you know, et cetera, like that she should be higher on that list, higher on the card at this point. That's all. Yeah, she's directionless. That's what yes. she is. That's mm-hmm. the best way to say it. She hasn't had a clear direction. You brought up how she beat Hikari Noah, and you know she had to go away for a little bit. So I think that's why that title match didn't happen, right? Uh, f- for the International Princess Championship, but she has been directionless pretty much since then. That's why I'm hoping you know through this tag team she can find a little bit of direction. Uh, maybe she can be a challenger for the pop title soon. Uh, or international princess because she does have a gripe to get a title shot. She beat the champion, so uh, hopefully, hopefully we're gonna see good things in 2022 for Rika Tatsumi because she definitely deserves it after her title reign and the work she's put in to become one of their best overall. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yuki, let's talk Kamiyu for a second. What what should we expect out of Kamiyu going into the new year? I expect her tag team with Asuka. Asuka, of course, Venny. I believe she goes. Yeah. I believe Venny they go U. by Venny in yeah, Venny U in um TJPW. I believe that's going to be the main direction. I don't know how much they will be, you know, together because of course the freelancing of um Asuka, but I think that's a great direction because they get along together great. They they're just so you know powerful together, if that makes sense. They, yep. There's just something about them when they're on screen together. They're like, oh, I all my attention goes to them. And I think that's the direction because, it's, like you said, International Princess Champion at the beginning of 2021 and kind of hasn't done much since. Uh, but I think that tag team's you know money in a sense. And if they got a tag team title run, I wouldn't be shocked. I think that's a great way to go. Um, of course, it, it comes down to the freelancing of Asuka, but I think that's a good direction for her. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm interested, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always said this about uh, Kami Yu, but more so going into 2022 than any of the years that she's done a lot of tag matches, the back half of the season or yeah, back half of the season, back, back half of the wrestling <laughs> season um, as if there's an off season, but they, she, you know, she's, she's kind of been mixing it up in, in tag matches. Um, She's been waiting the water a little bit. She hasn't vied for a title that I can remember since she lost hers. And I'm no. thinking, but I don't think she has. I think when Hikari beat her, that was the last title 
that she, like that was the last thing in the title picture that she was part of, right? Yeah. Like she hasn't defended, and she, or she certainly hasn't won anything, and she certainly hasn't challenged for anything. And so again, in a lot of ways, I sit there and I go, I like that they're building around her. Like mm. the the roster is kind of coming to age, yeah, a little bit, and you know, and now Yuki's there, and and what are they going to do with her? And so I'm going to keep an eye on Kamiyu as we go through 2022 because I think, you know, as as much as she's a seasoned entity within TJPW. I think a lot of these younger bucks are coming up and mm-hmm. she's going to help to be the gatekeeper to help get them over. And if that's her role in 2022, I think that's a good goal. I think that's a good role for her. Yeah. I love that call. Actually. I think being that type of gatekeeper, you know, maybe, maybe she's the big win that Yuki Rai gets. Maybe, you know, that's a good spot for her. Potentially. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sending, you know, Kami, you down the, uh, down the card or anything, but Yuki Arai is someone that they clearly want to build behind. And if she was to finally get a big win, Kamiyu fits that bill. She does because she's established. She has a title reign to her name. And I think that's a good call um, with the gatekeeper of sorts. I think she can definitely give someone a huge win uh, just, you know, based off of T- her TJPW standing alone. So, and I do, I do think the tag team thing is potential uh it has potential it's just a sense of can they do it which we'll see but i like your call there um and i think yuki rai would benefit from a big win for example i mean there's other rookies of course too yeah i mean again she's like seven and oh in her last singles matches so like they protect her so Mm -hmm. she's already starting to show that little like you know that little bit of hey you gotta beat me to kind of get to that next level i think that would be a fun story for them to tell for mm-hmm. sure. Say. So this is where it gets a little interesting for me because I've been on record. I'm not a huge Palm and Neko fan. Right? <laughs> Enjoy the club. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the cats and the clowns, um, you know, I tend to to veer towards um, you know, not not enjoying them as much as other people. And so, you know, for them to be middle of the card. On the one four show, I thought was very interesting because they've always kind of been the opening act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, then you notice that the the, the Bakaretsu sisters are there, and this is kind of the send off for Nodaka. And you're like, okay, this is making a lot more sense. But, but Scott, sitting here tonight talking to you about the one four show, I'm going to tell you that was probably the best Neko Palm match that I've seen to date. Right. I'm not going to oversell it and say that it was some barn burner type of match and things of that nature. But, you know, given that the teams were, you know, um, Neko and uh, and the Bakaretsu sisters, you know, versus um, Kobashi, Palm and Raku. You know, you sit there and you go on the surface. um, You know, if, if you're somebody that's more likened to to very specific types of wrestling championship level wrestling, main events, co-mains, things of that nature. Well, this one's not going to be the one that jumps off at the card for you. But when you're talking emotion, comedic timing, um, you know, that, that really interesting type of mixed or uh, multi tag where everybody kind of gets to, to, to kind of hit their spots. Mm -hmm. I think this match hit and checked all those boxes. I really do. And I want to give, and again, this is such, not to say that this is crazy out of character for me, but I really want to give some, some you know, um, praise to Neko because I think there was a couple times in this match 
where the cat, you know, just performed at an above average level than what I've seen from her in the past. Like she mm -hmm. knew it was one four and she came to perform. And you know, on 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 surface, or you know, on the surface, I give a lot of credit to 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 showing up on the big shows. And Neko did that for me this time, and I found that to be very, um, yeah, I was I, I I enjoyed it. I rather enjoyed that match for that reason. And then the motion of Nodaka kind of waving goodbye and everybody at the end mm -hmm. and everything that was going on. Uh, what did you think of this match? You know, was it a um, fast forward <laughs> for you, or was this one that you invested into? I uh, so when you told me, you know, I was coming on the show. Made sure to go back and watch it because originally it was fast forward city. I will not lie. Uh, and and this is this is the beauty of TJPW, right? You have all these different types of matches that they're not gonna they're not gonna entertain everyone, they're not going to bring in everyone. But but I will say I went back, checked it out, checked some of the key points out, and they did a good job. They did a good job. You know, they were in a big spot. Like you said, you know, I, I middle of the card, still not like main event or whatever, but they were higher up the card. And I'm going to be upset that, you know, Nadoka's leaving because I liked her a lot. I thought she was coming into her own big time towards the end of the year. And then she kind of just was like, yeah, see you guys. And I was like, oh, that's tough because she, she was unique from everyone else. And I guess really everyone is. I mean, you only have one cat, <laughs> but um, it was entertaining. And I think a lot of the time, if you watch these matches and you kind of just try to forget that you're watching wrestling, just treat it as, all right, I'm going to, let's see if I get entertained. Let's see if I can laugh. That's kind of how you can go through a palm match, especially because she's very comedy based and that's fine. If, if it's not your cup of tea, I totally understand because I'll tell you what, JPQ, it is not my cup of tea. But <laughs> but I can appreciate it when I go back. And I, I liked how you said it was above average from what you would expect out of Nako and Palm. So they showed out for uh, the goodbye for Nadoka, which was nice. You put this palate cleanser fa farewell um, in 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 the middle of the card. Right to where you have a cat, two sisters, a model, <laughs> a clown, and a train, you know, going out there and mixing it up and kind of bringing the levity back to the show, right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways. And so, you know, I usually call that my limoncello match. It's a palate mm -hmm. cleanser, it's a way to kind of reset um, so that you can kind of dictate what the rest of the card is going to be. Yeah. And coming out of what the show was and then what the show is about to go into. I think this hit that plus some feels because Noda uh, Nodaka was leaving. Again, if they're sealing, it's like gymnastics. If if you're if if you're doing a move that can only get you a four point seven, right? I think they got a four point seven. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. I think they maxed out at whatever the ceiling of this match could have been, and in that sense, they knocked it out of the park. They did. They did, and I like the palate cleanser idea. Because you know the next three matches were relatively serious, uh, yeah. So this gave you a chance to kind of you know get an emotional feel too, uh, with Nadoka leaving. Like it was, it was, it was emotional, but at the same time, it like lifted your spirits, um, which is always nice. So uh, I liked when you when 
thinking about it that way, it's a lot easier to appreciate. Um, and it's not necessarily as big a match as maybe the spot in the card says. Maybe it was seen more of the palate cleanser before the big three matches. Um, and I think that's fine because, you know, not every match needs to be high stakes. You know, not every match has to be high stakes. If there's a main event, a co-main event, let's call this the Coco main. Um, we've got the Coco main event here. Yuka Sakazaki <laughs> versus Yuki Arai um, in a veteran versus rookie you know, coming of age type of story here. Like, can Yuki Arai really establish herself as being the next, you know, um, main eventer is probably too tall of an order, but what the next, you know, one to kind of punch through into the upper echelon of TJPW. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's doing, and again, she got a gatekeeper in her way and Yuka Sakazaki um, found this match to be incredibly engaging. Um, Again, in a lot of ways, Yuki Arai is as advertised um, for someone that, again, hasn't been wrestling that long. You're only talking. Has it even been a year at this point? I'm not sure. But, you know, her charisma just jumps off the charts. Her offense has executed it pretty well, considering her um, time in pro wrestling. You know, she's obviously got an athletic background to her. You know, again, she just if she's if there was a if, she, if there was a five tool player. Uh, blueprint, um, and you were drafting pro wrestlers. Yuki Arai is at the list, is at the top of the list because she checks all those boxes. Um, what did, what were your thoughts on the match, and where do you think the ceiling is for Arai moving forward? I thought the match was another good display of oh, she gets so close, even even when she's getting you know beaten down and. Yuka was not holding back on some of the offense she was hitting Yuki Rai with. Uh, but she she gives you that belief. She has that fighting spirit that's so easy to attach herself to. And the five-tool player aspect is Yuki Rai understands a lot of the hard things right off the bat. She understands the emotions. She understands the um, you know the way to sell and all that to make you feel for her. And in time, her offense gets better and better and better. What's her potential? I'm going to be honest, Princess of Princess Champion. That's where I think she goes. She is super popular because, you know, she's part of the uh, idol band. Uh, what, is it? what is it? What is it? Idol group uh, SKE48, maybe, off the top of my head. That might be it. Uh, she's very popular. She's been main eventing purposely in shows. She's they're, they, they're teaming her with Mio Yamashita, Maki Ito. They're teaming her with the popular ones because they want her to learn quickly on the fly. And as long as she keeps embracing wrestling, she the sky is the limit. You know, She's someone that TJPW can build behind. They want to build behind. That's why she for a rookie has climbed the card a lot faster than others. And she's going to be a champion. She's as long as she stays with it, she's going to be a champion. She's going to probably be the top champion. And I applaud her for balancing the idol group and the wrestling and really seemingly embracing wrestling. You know, she didn't have to, she doesn't have to, she's already successful in one um, art form. But she is doing this, and it's it's very much something I can appreciate. She's having these great matches. I think her trial series, without being almost always official, is you know 
that match with Rika Tsumi was good. She had a match with Miyu Mashita, and then this one with Yuka Sakasaki. Really good. Just shows the heart, shows the passion that you want to see out of her. Because again, she doesn't have the wrestling background, but she's trying to show, hey, I belong here. And it's really easy to watch. That's why she's in this singles match. Yeah. That's why she's against Yuka. And that's why Yuka may or may not put her over. And what happens? Right. Of course she doesn't, right? right. <laughs> Yuka picks well, up the W here the way she should. I, I just thought, you know, you were talking about how, hey, you pay attention to her. The perfect example is at Wrestle Princess 2, their biggest show of the year. They put her against Aja Kong. Like, uh, that's, that's not a spot you just give away. That is a Aja spot. That is, yeah, yeah. Aja Kong, of course, you know, she's on the back end of her career. But if you're going to go in there and wrestle Aja Kong, one, you have to prove that you can hang. And two, you're you're respected. You are someone that they see in a huge role. And she really, really delivered in that match, most notably, because she took a lot of hard hits from Aja Kong. And she kept coming back. And it that would lead to the Tatsumi Yamashita and now Sakazaki match. And, you know, she's not winning. She's not going to win yet, but it's coming. And that's right. the beauty of it. And every match you see that improvement. Every match you see, oh, she's one axe kick away. One axe kick away from getting there. She hasn't got there yet, but soon she's going to hit it and she'll win. And it'll be all worth it because she worked to it. Okay, so this leads us into our main event, or excuse me, our co-main event, International Princess title match, uh, Maki Ito versus Akari Noah. Akari Noah coming off, oh my God, she had the belt since May, right? So seven months of holding the title, or holding the title, uh, had a couple death matches, slash hardcore matches. She has defended it a couple times. Pretty decent champion, in my opinion. I like that they... Um, they pulled the trigger on somebody young coming off Kamiyu mm-hmm. in the sense of like an up, up girl. And, you know, really kind of brought, you know, a, a championship to, to that, to that side of it. Um, Kari Noah had a good run. I'm not going to sit here and say it was a great run, but I thought for her first run with a championship, I found it to be, uh, you know, rather solid match in and match out. Um, and then she has to run into Maki Ito, right. Um, <laughs> as somebody that's been, I like to think fair about how I've talked about Maki in the past. I think she's obviously, you know, um, popular in the West. You know, I think that her, uh, I lose all the time when it comes to, to me, you and the princess, of princess title, uh, is a trope that should continue. Right. I was not disappointed when she didn't win at, at, or when she didn't win the title or after she won the princess cup, I felt that, you know, if you're going to do an ACE run, do a true ACE run. You know, and and they were doing, and they're doing that with me, you. So I was fine with keeping the Maki story going as the lovable loser, um, and never being able to win the big one. But when it came to the international princess title, I thought two things. I thought number one, Maki taking it off Akari makes sense because she's higher on the totem pole than Akari Noah is. So for her to beat somebody of lesser standing with regards to card placement or roster placement, I think doesn't hurt the lovable loser aspect so much. Number one. And number two, knowing that she had such a productive 2021 outside of Japan, outside of TJPW, putting the title on her and then moving 
that title to the West would just make all the sense in the world if they decided to do it, especially with the traction that Wrestle Universe is getting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can draw the parallels. Um, going into this match, I was high on Maki Ito winning. I felt this was probably the best match of Akari Noah's um, reign up to this point. Um, I thought it was a banger back and forth. The 16 minutes that it went felt like a breeze. Um, I thought that there was compelling, um, you know, facial um, uh, storytelling between the two at the beginning. I thought it was hard fought in the middle and it didn't get sloppy at the end. They, they had a motor going and they could have continued moving forward. Um, you know, your general sense on this, Scott, where did you fall on the Maki versus Akari match? I thought it was really good. Probably Hikari Noah's best match of her career, I'll even say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maki Ito is what is the whole purpose of TJPW in right. a sense that she makes you invest in everything that she's doing, much like TJPW makes you invest in their wrestlers, invest in their vision of professional wrestling. Maki Ito makes you invest in her matches to a point where you kind of get lost in it. You kind of forget that, like you said, 16 minutes go by that didn't feel like it, didn't feel like it for a second. You invest in the fact that, can she do this? Can she finally get another big win? Because when you lose a world title match in any form of professional wrestling, it's tough to bounce back sometimes because finding that next step is always difficult. And I thought the way she bounced back was great. Uh, you know, she had the tag title match with Mia Yamashita. She, you know, they've lost there, but she wasn't pinned. And then she won the battle royal to get the shot. And she deserved it. She earned this in her 2021, you know, beginning to end year. She's one of the most improved overall wrestlers in all of wrestling. And that's not to take away from Hikari Noah, who gave it right back in this match. She made you invest, you know. It was one of those times where the champion was the underdog, which is a great story to tell because it makes you feel more for Hikari Noah too. And I thought Noah, you know, she is someone that I can understand why they want to build around her. She, she screams charisma. And I thought this was a perfect way for her reign to end because one, it was a really good match. Uh, the, point where they hit the when she hit the blizzard suplex but couldn't bridge i was like oh that that was such a good little point in the match mm-hmm. because you can build off of that oh she she was that close to taking out makito but she just couldn't get it done and of course she would tap out via ito special uh, but i love those little things and i think hikari noah the more she gets reps like this which is why I thought the title reign was smart. She got major reps right off the bat is that, you know, sink or swim, sink or swim. It's sometimes the best way, especially when you want to push a star to the top, it's the best way to do it. And she swam. She swam the entire reign. Was it a perfect reign? No. Was it the best reign of the year in wrestling? No, but it was a, very good reign and it established her as okay she's now one of the top stars in tjpw and now maki ito can make that title prominent and have her own reign that she's earned maki after winning it then does a presser pretty much saying that she's going to shop this baby around the world 
Mm. Um, to which then we got Thunder Rosa calling her out because Thunder never really lost that title. Um, and she beat Maki for it. Mm-hmm. We know that there's an AEW partnership. We know that Maki on some level is probably headed back to AEW at some point. Um, do you think this match is better served in the United States? Or do you think that this is a match, this rematch should be done in Japan where Maki lost the title to begin with? I think it should happen in Japan. I I don't necessarily love when a promotion's title has to get defended elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Because that's a big match for that promotion to succeed with. Like, that's a match people can invest to, and that will bring eyes to TJPW. It brings more eyes when Thunder Rose is wrestling on a TJPW show than when Maki Ito is wrestling on an AEW show. That's just my thought. But, but if they want to get the match and Thunder Rose is not going to Japan anytime soon, I can understand why they would do that too. Uh, but I'm always in favor of a promotion getting their title match, their big title match on their show rather than the other way around, because it means better business for them. Um, And of course the way they sold it on social media makes you think they'll actually do it. Was that them just kind of talking to each other and calling it a day? Maybe, maybe, maybe there nothing comes from it. Maybe they never do it. Who knows? But I think if you can, you try to get in TJPW. If you can't, you at least get the match in, you know, because noise for your promotion anyway is better than none at all. Let's move on to the main event, shall we? Princess of Princess mm-hmm. title match. We got Miyu Yamashita versus uh, Mizuki, um, who it's it's criminal that Mizuki hasn't had a pop title reign yet, but I digress. Uh, we got Miyu versus Mizuki, one half of the tag team champions with Yuka um, as the magical sugar rabbits. Mizuki is one of the most interesting wrestlers going today. I think she has um, a tremendous um, finisher slash signature move in the Whirling Candy. Um, I think it's something where, you know, her aerial skill set is strong. It's probably the strongest in TJPW, if I'm being critical of everybody. And she's always right there and can never seem to win the big one slash they never pull the trigger and give her the title. Um, I was rooting for, her. I wasn't holding out hope, but I was rooting that Mizuki could go in there and, and take down Miyu on one four kind of reset for the beginning of the year. And, and let's get a run out of her the way we did the white dragon the year before. Either way, this came out easily to be the best match on the card. Um, I just, you know, the ground game of Miyu or the striking game of Miyu versus the aerial assault from Mizuki. I thought they played really well together. Um, match of the night, easily for me. Scott, where do you fall on this? Yes, match of the night, first off. Second, their ability to tell kind of similar stories with Maki Ito and Mizuki, you know, kind of in a parallel is very intriguing because you know you called Maki Ito the lovable loser which is what she is Mizuki is at a point where she's had these title opportunities she's won the Tokyo Princess Cup she's you know she's gotten these Princess of Princess Championship matches and she just hasn't reached the level that I think a lot of us have expected and it's a very intriguing story but Losing to Miyu Yamashita 
is nothing to you know be sad about. It is she is as dominant of an ace as there is in wrestling, let alone Joshi, let alone you know Japan. She is as dominant of an ace like figure face of the company as you will see. And the way they created and crafted this match was tremendous. It was absolutely tremendous. They gave you that hope. They gave you that hope that Mizuki, you know, this is her time. They had that great video package before the match even started of Mizuki, you know, very emotional, uh, very much telling you, okay, this is, this is, this is her time. You know, they're giving her the whole treatment of like, you know, my example is like Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Like this is, this is the whole shebang. This is her chance. And she falls short. And the way they did the match was Mizuki took everything Yamashita had to offer. She took an a attitude adjustment to the apron. She took a super AAA to, from the top rope, and she survived, and she survived, and she survived, and she gave it right back. And I think that was the beauty in itself. They showed that she can take all of this but even at her best, maybe she isn't good enough yet. Yet, because she's going to get that title. And, you know, we were talking about how last match where I kind of couldn't do the bridge. Well, Mizuki couldn't do the bridge on the cutie special. She kind of nope. just, you know, tossed her back. And by the time you knew it, they were both on their feet. And skull kick out of nowhere. Gone. See you later. And, you know, Crash Rabbit heats by Mio Yamashita and it's it's over, but it's it over. was it was a phenomenal match. Um, it was one of those it, it's the perfect TJPW match of you got super invested, you saw their work rate go at the highest level, and you saw that emotional journey from start to finish where you're, you're, not, you're not looking at the clock. You're not looking at anything. You're focused just on the match. And it's almost, you know, it's close to like a masterpiece in the sense that the only way it could have been perfect is that if Mizuki won and we just didn't get that win yet, it's not, it's not time. Yet. And this is the time of Mio Yamashita and they're in their biggest time of growth. They are running with her and you can't fault them. She is one of the best. She's absolutely one of the best. And when Mizuki has that moment, it'll all be worth it. Yeah, my hope is that that, that moment happens sooner rather than later. Um, mm -hmm. As far as, as Miyu Yamashita goes, again, she proved again why she's considered one of the best, um, easily top five, but I would even say top three performers in all of Japan right now um, on the Joshi side because, again, just technically clean, very sound, and the way she lays out her matches, her striking's phenomenal. Um, she's not afraid to take a little bit of a beating, which we saw against Mizuki. Uh, she mm -hmm. sells well for her opponent. Um, I made mention before of the the five tool player, which again you will hear me say because it's a you know at this point it's, it's part of my shtick. But um, you know, Miyu is the ace for a reason, right? Um, I think that, and it's weird because I don't think you can have too good of a of a wrestler in any promotion. But she is far and away so much better than everybody else on that roster. And that is not a knock on the roster. That is a compliment to Miyu Yamashita <laughs> uh, with how well she 
does at this thing called professional wrestling. Um, that we're in the middle of a, of a dominant ace run. Like that match against Mizuki kind of solidified for me that I'm going to hunker down and expect no more than, you know, nine more months of a Mew Yamashita run. Like I want mm-hmm. a full year. I want to see, um, you know, this be looked at as one of the more dominating runs by anybody in, uh, in Joshi in a long time, because one, I think she can do it and make it believable and keep me and keep it compelling the entire run. But two, we haven't had a good ace run in, in wrestling since Okada's reign a couple years back, in my opinion. I just haven't seen that established ace just run roughshod over the entire roster the way Miyu Yamashita has. And who wins it, who beats her, all to be decided another day. Watch it be Yuki Arai in two years. Um, <laughs> but it is one of those things where I look at it and I say, like, I want an ace run, and and my expectation moving forward is that's what we're going to get. Um, and again, she cemented that for me this match, once again, proving why you know, she's the best. She's if she's not the best, she's one of the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. You you knocked it all in the head. Uh the only thing I have to add is the way they've made her title reign, it almost feels like I won't be satisfied unless it's a Mizuki or Maki Ito title win at the end. Like that is how good these back to back matches have been of getting you emotionally invested. And you know, watching them just come up short. They had they had everything it took, but they just came up short. And it almost feels like that still should be the goal. You we don't know. I never I will never know when Miu Yamashita is losing. I will not. But what I do know is that we are on a special run. She's one of the best in the world. And I'm not gonna complain about it because it's been a great great reign so far and i think you still have a rika tetsumi rematch in there if you want it yep uh you have a number of matches but that's one that i instantly look at i'm like i feel like this title reign should not end until that happens yeah yeah no i agree i agree wholeheartedly with that um what's interesting about our champions now moving forward is we have Miyu yamashita as the pop champion we have uh maki ito as the um, international princess champion and we have the magic sh- or magical sugar rabbits as the um princess tag team champions all three of which were champions at the same time a couple of years ago now a lot of us after cyber fight or going into cyber fight and then coming out of cyber fight were of the opinion that that, that they kind of hit a reset and they were kind of going back to to these prominent names holding these titles you know, for business purposes, right? And that was kind of like this underlying theme of the last six months. We are at a point where we are now confirmed everybody who was a champion at the same time a couple years ago is now champion moving into 2022. My question to you, Scott, do you see this continuing through the entirety of 2022? As in, uh, if Maki loses the title, she's going to lose it outside of, of, of TJPW. Magical Sugar Rabbits hold on to the titles for an extended period of time, probably losing to Shoko and Hyper or something along those lines. And then, you know, Miyu on this ace run. Should we expect anything out of these titles? Switching hands, any surprises? What's your outlook on the championship scene in 2022 for TJPW? I think they 
they have long-term plans. That's one thing about Joshi as a whole is that they have crafted out these plans for a reason. And you, you have four of your most prominent stars, debatably your most four popular stars right now at the top. And it's interesting because you have this unique opportunity to put over a number of new talents when you may have the most eyes you've ever had on your product. Miu Yamashita, the ace run, whoever beats her is going to get incredible, incredible Huge. growth from that. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. Whoever beats Ito, it'll be interesting because, you know, we've been talking about, is she going to go defend it worldwide? And that's an interesting case. And then you have the tag team champions where I think tag team titles are a little bit different. It's not necessarily, unless, you know, you have like Yukari and Moko Miyamoto beat them. It's, it's different in that you can have other stars like a Shoko and Hyper beat them. And it's not about the growth of a different star, but it's more of just continuing down the line of where you see your top stars and how you want to present your tag team division. But, you know, looking at the titles, who, how do you benefit the most from having all of your top stars on top? You have them lose to those who are in need of a big win or you want to push forward. And of course, some of those names are in the titles are currently title holders. We just talked about Maki Ito and Mizuki make a lot of sense to beat Miyu Yamashita. Right. But, but do you want to elevate someone else? Do you want to get Shoko Nakajima back to that spot? Do you want to get Rika Tatsumi back to that spot? Yuka Sakazaki, like the list goes on. Do you want, do you want someone that has been there like those three? Do you want someone like Maki and Mizuki who have these stories built in of, they're trying, they're doing their best, or do you just want someone completely different out of left field? You know, like, do you want to bring in, and this is, this is the thing with TJPW. They don't bring in people that it's, it's the next champion. The next champion is probably on this roster in every sense, but, but they do have this cyber fight situation where there are a lot of free agents. There are a lot of big names that they could always bring in, even just for title matches, like doing Yamashita versus Venue, big match, big match. You don't have to have Venue win, but it's a big match. I think they're in a perfect spot of people are checking out TJ uh, TJPW Wrestling Universe is brand new, like the way they rebuilt it, and they have this growing popularity. I'm excited to see how. They go forward with these titles because it's very uncertain. I don't know if you have a certainty in your mind of how they go, but I'm hoping they build with each title loss for their big four in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only one that I would like to see that's not part of the quote unquote pillars is I'd like to see. Yuki Aino, uh, mm-hmm. International Princess Champion, by this time next year. I look at 
the roster and I say there's a lot of wrestlers on this roster that aren't ready to take on the mantle mm-hmm. of taking out any one of these four champions as right. in Mizuki, Maki, Yuka, or Miyu. So the changes have to come from the Shoko's Mizuki's yeah. of the world. You throw in uh, the Rika Tatsumi's of the world, right? Those three would be like your next layer underneath of that. I think Yuki Aino's right there. Um, if they push her up into it, I'd be okay with it. You know, and then again, let's start seeing what a Yuki Arai can do. Let's see if Mahiro Kiryu can continue on her, um, you know, path here over the, you know, I don't think she'll be in title contention anytime soon, but like maybe she can like find a partner and make sense of a tag team mm-hmm. at some point next year. That's not just lower mid card opener type of stuff. And, and we'll play it out. Because of that, though, I don't think we're going to see much change in the interim over the course of the year. Is that good? Is that bad? We'll see. I like, you know, I like rosters that develop the talent underneath and then let them organically get to the point where they can, you know, realistically compete with these champions. And so if that's what TJPW is going to focus on this year. I think there's a lot of good that can come from that. Um, either way, it's definitely one that, you know, as fans of the promotion, you and I are, as well as fans getting into the promotion, everybody listening out there now, TJPW is one that you're going to want to check out. It's part of Wrestle Universe. It's, again, a little less than $9 a month, and you get DDT Pro, and you get J- a Ganjo Pro, which you'll hear us talk about in the indie section, as well as now you're going to get the Prominence exclusive deathmatch mm-hmm. cards as well. Uh, so, again, yeah, a little bit of everything for everybody on the Joshi side, as well as your Puro stuff with Noah and everything that they're doing over there. So we've talked it all, Scott. Tell everybody where they can find you, Scott. You're one of the best guys going out talking Joshi right now. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, you're at the forefront, uh, leading the play or blazing the path for a lot of us uh, following behind <laughs> you. What are you up to? Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott E wrestling uh, spelled just like that. Uh, you can check out all my content, which is, a multitude of places uh fightgamemedia.com i have a weekly joshi column that is also where my weekly joshi podcast the five star joshi show airs each and every friday on the patreon um, we have a free show up currently on their podcast feed talking about stardom and stardom's 2021 and why you should be excited for 2022 you can check out uh my other content which is also Joshi related uh, at Voices of Wrestling. That's almost all stardom. And last word on sports uh, pro wrestling site where I cover a little bit of everything there. And I also have a podcast called Ring Post Radio, which I do talk uh, stardom on there as well. But definitely, if you want to hear me, Joshi, follow me on Twitter, check out my column of Fight Game Media, and then definitely check out my five-star Joshi podcast on the Patreon because we talk every single week about all the topics in Joshi and uh, JPQ has been on before. So, and he'll be on again. So definitely please check that out. And JPQ, thank you so much for having me on here. It's been a blast talking to TJPW and I I hope to come on again someday. You know, you will, man. Scott E wrestling on Twitter. Make sure you're following them. If you're a fan of Joshi, if you're a fan of learning more about Joshi, if you're a fan of any type of wrestling critiques whatsoever, the man does it all. Can't speak 
any more highly about this guy than I already have. Um, for now, make sure that you stick around because we are doing the baseline here, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to move into part three, Ice Ribbon, next time on Just Joshi. Later. <laughs>